to welcome everybody back to Health is Your Wealth podcast, a Walton County conversation. My name is Dee Dee Harris. I'm the um, executive director of Walton Wellness, a nonprofit located here in Walton County. We are dedicated to the prevention of lifestyle-related chronic illness and all about everything health in Walton County. So I'm back. We're back with my co-host, Bruce Young. Hey, Dee Dee. Thanks for having me back. It's good to be back. And uh, we had a really good, um, I think, turnout is, is, I could use that word right. for our, our last... <laughs> Listenership, uh, Listenership, yeah, for our last uh, opioid series. And uh, so, anyway, thanks thanks to everybody. And uh, we want to hear from you as well. We want to hear comments, concerns, uh, complaints, and uh, we'll take it all. But we'll take it at waltonwellness at gmail, and you can certainly message us on Facebook. Yeah, that would be awesome. We'd love to hear about some topics that you want to hear. Um, So if you're just joining us for the first time, we do want to say welcome. Um, If you're a return listener, like Bruce said, thank you very much. We have another very serious topic to talk about in this series, Um, and this is the first, so we're introducing the series today, but it is going to be, we're going to be talking about suicide. I was surprised to hear that uh, suicide worldwide suicide is in fact down but the US suicide rate is up yeah it's a pretty sad state of affairs I think and one of the questions that comes to my mind is why why in a country that we are so wealthy um, you know we have religious freedom we have so many freedoms that other countries do not enjoy we have money you know um, the poverty in the United States is not near what the poverty is in other countries. Right. However, our suicide rate is about 30% higher than it has been in past years. Um, and I don't know that we're going to answer the question as to exactly why, but you got any ideas? Well, hopefully with the interviews that, that you've done, we'll get some insights at least so that, you know, that'll give us a glimpse into why maybe this is occurring so often and yeah one of the things we do talk about and and you'll hear throughout the interviews is this idea is our electronic or digital society kind of creating a sense of isolation with each of us um is that contributing to our suicide rate and you know i don't know if this is a statistic but i've heard that you know in countries that the communities have constant struggle Mm -hmm. that their suicide rates are lower because it pulls people together. They're not, you know, self-centered with these devices. I mean, I'm as guilty as anybody. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, it is, it's a very interesting question. It's also a very alarming question that we have to ask ourselves. I mean, living in the country that we do, enjoying the freedoms, enjoying the financial Um, success that so many people do in the United States 
it's really sad that w- that we're asking this question. Yeah, but it's an important topic, and it really needs to be discussed. And it's certainly one that has touched our community in Walton County. Yes. So the big reason for um, wanting to do this series is because Walton County actually does have a very increased rate of suicide um, than our surrounding counties. And I think that might be really surprising for a lot of people to learn. Um, I'm not trying to create, and I say this throughout the interviews, that I am not trying to create a mass hysteria or, you know, say that, you know, chicken little, the sky is falling, um, to say that, you know, this is the number one problem in Walton County or something. However, it is very alarming, the number of suicides that we have in this community. And I want to share some statistics so that everybody listening can kind of grasp what I'm talking about. Um, so statistically speaking, the state of Georgia, and and we're going to talk about numbers from 2016, because you know how in statistics, you never have like the actual numbers from that year. Statistics always run a couple of years behind because by the time they, my brain does, (laughs) mine too. (laughs) Um, so yeah, they, they're always having to collect everything. And so we're going to be looking at the latest numbers that are, that are put out by the department of behavioral health. That's the Georgia department of behavioral health are the numbers that I'm going to be quoting. And that's from 2016. And um, looking at 2016, we had 22 suicides in Walton County in 2016. And that put us at a rate of 23%. Now, 23%, okay, well, what does that mean? That doesn't really give you perspective. But if I told you that the state rate was 13% and our rate for that year was 23%, that's pretty astounding. That's way more than than I would have imagined um yeah almost almost double the state rate wow in 2016 and um also just another comparative to give everybody listening a perspective on this is that um I looked at our surrounding counties at least the ones that were kind of similar to our size size, right right because of course we touch Gwinnett but they're a lot bigger than we are so looking at Rockdale they only had three in 2016 morgan had three newton had 16 oconee had three so for us to have that many more than most of our touching counties is is kind of alarming to me wow that's and you know i was thinking about this the other day that you know when you think about it someone you know or maybe you know, friend or relative, someone has been touched by suicide in some form or another, very similar to the opiate right. uh, problem. And it's unfortunately, especially in our community, um, you know, I think we've grown accustomed over the years we hear about suicide in our community pretty often. And, yeah. and we don't realize that that is not necessarily normal. That's not necessarily the way that it is all around us. Um, So that is, you know, a big reason why I want to bring this topic up. Some other numbers to throw out is Walton County is listed as one of the top 30 counties in the state of Georgia for suicide. Um, So they kind of made a list of the top 30 counties and we are in there. And of course, none of the other communities, including Gwinnett, none of the other counties that touch us are in that top 30 list. Wow. 
Um, and then also just to share kind of statewide, um, they have looked at that suicide is the second leading cause of death for ages 10 to 14 and ages 25 to 34. In, um, again, this is 2016 numbers. It's the third leading cause of death for ages 15 to 24, the fourth leading cause of death for ages 35 to 44, and 45 to 54. So, I mean, it's definitely an issue. It's definitely a problem. It is, and that's those are alarming statistics. And that's the state of Georgia. You know, that's not specifically Walton County, but that's within the state of Georgia. So, um, and then just looking at raw numbers, I actually talked to our 911 communications center for Walton County, and I asked them for the numbers for the last 10 years of suicide, suicide attempts, and suicide threats. So, suicide would be what they call a completed suicide. That means someone was successful and ending their life. Resulting in death. Exactly. And then attempts are someone who did actually take action to end their life, whether that was a a drug overdose or, you know, whatever it might be. It was attempts but did not end up taking their life. Um, And then threats is obviously somebody saying that they were going to hurt themselves or kill themselves. Which they have to take those just as serious as anything else, I'm sure. And that's a good point, too, Bruce, because we talk about that in one of the interviews, uh, the interview with Ridgeview. I kind we, we talk about, you know, how serious should you take people? And I think in today's time, you have to take it pretty serious. You know, there was probably a time years ago that, oh, that's just so-and-so, and that's just the way they are. They're trying to get attention or something, right, sure. which is true. In a lot of cases, it is people wanting, seeking attention or wanting attention from a specific person. A lot right. of times that can happen to you. But in today's time, I just think that we really have to take it seriously um, when somebody starts talking about that. But the numbers from 911 was over the last 10 years, we've had 169 completed suicides in Walton County. We've had um, 1,314 attempts of suicide in Walton County and 1,560 threats um, over the last 10 years. And I don't have those broken out by years, but we can only assume that that number has been increasing rather than decreasing. And I know, and, and you'll hear through some of the interviews with law enforcement, that at least the number of calls that they are getting associated with this are increasing wow. for sure. Well, I think we'll get some insight to some of these numbers, and at least we'll get um, insight from our first Uh, your first interview with Lieutenant Ben Cornelius from the Walton County Sheriff's Department. And he actually answers the calls or goes to the calls. Yeah, he is on patrol with Walton County Sheriff's Office. So he has unfortunately um, been a part of many suicide calls and been a part of witnessing an actual suicide as well. So he kind of shares with us from a law enforcement, it's kind of a personal story, though it's not been someone in his family or a friend. It is 
very personal to him sure. through his job. And he does a, he has a great insight. I think everybody's really going to enjoy his interview and what he shares with us. Awesome. Well, I'm looking forward to this and uh, let's get to the interview with Lieutenant Ben Cornelius. Okay. Um, so we're here today with interviewing the Walton County Sheriff's Office deputy and I'm going to let him introduce himself and tell us your rank. I apologize. I just called you deputy, but I didn't mean to insult you in any way. <laughs> no, that's okay. Uh, my name is Ben Cornelius. I'm a lieutenant with Walton County Sheriff's Office, uh, Uniform Patrol Division. Okay, and Uniform Patrol Division means? Uh, we're the ones that answer all the calls for service on the road, road deputies, I guess basically is a good okay. term for it. So patrol. Patrol, Patrol, yeah. okay. Um, and so we're here, as you know, we are working on a series for um, Health is Your Wealth podcast about suicide in Walton County. Um, unfortunately, that is a topic that is not anything uncommon to this community. And uh, law enforcement is a huge part of suicide. Obviously, y'all are the first responders in so many different scenarios and situations. Um, and so today, I just want to kind of focus a little bit about specifically uh, suicide calls. They may not always be, quote, suicide calls, but I think you also have a name for them, maybe mental health calls. Um, and we'll kind of get into the different areas of what those calls are. Um, but if you can, kind of just to start us off, walk us through a suicide call um, so and you may have to clarify for us because I know like I just said suicide call can be a suicide threat a suicide attempt and then an actual suicide can you kind of define those three for us um, yes uh, a lot of times we'll get what's called a welfare check um, those can come in from family members friends who haven't heard from somebody in uh, an extended period of time or who have any kind of health issues or also has a history of mental health issues, suicide attempts, suicide threats in the past. So we do we do quite a number of welfare checks. We also do um, what's called a suicide threat. It's where somebody has made a actual threat to a friend, family member of harming themselves or wanting to harm themselves. Um, we also do go to respond to a call, which is a suicide attempt, which was where someone has actually attempted suicide, um, whether it be overdose, um, anything of that nature okay. and then we also get the suicide calls and when we say a suicide call we're referring mainly to a call that you would get there and the person has already passed has already actually correct. killed themselves correct okay so from that can you walk us through what happens and a lot of this is kind of focusing on you personally so I appreciate you being willing to kind of talk to us about what goes on in your mind um you know, full disclosure, I'm married to a police officer, so I get uh, a little bit more of knowing what happens inside the mind of a police officer when they're put in a dangerous or um, kind of situation. So, but if you can just share with everybody, so you get this call, and let's go through kind of the different calls. So let's say that you get a suicide um, or a well a welfare check call. Tell us how does that come in and then what do you do well someone calls 911 or calls to our dispatch center gives us you know the details of the call the address 
Um, and then the dispatch center dispatches a patrol unit to the location. Um, so if it's just basically like a welfare check, hey, can you make contact with this person? We hadn't heard them from them in a while. Then basically that's what we try to do. We go to the house, knock on the door, ring the doorbell, whatever, and then make contact with the person. Hey, are you okay? Uh, we got a call, say that, you know, maybe you had threatened to harm yourself. Um, are you having any kind of suicidal threats or want to harm yourself? And sometimes they'll say yes, and that will you know, get us to the point where we can try to help them out further, whether it be calling a ambulance to check their, you know, check them out vitals or even transport them to the hospital. Um, but sometimes they don't want to ride with an ambulance. Sometimes they will ride with us. Um, so we can actually take them to the hospital and let them talk to a professional because we're not professionals at right. that point, you know. Um, and then a lot of times it's, no, I'm fine. I just don't want to talk to anybody right now. So there's really not a whole lot at that point we can do. Um, so that would be your basic, I guess, welfare. Okay. Or temp, you know, and a lot threat. of people listening may not even know that that's an option for a loved one or a family member that you are able to call. Um, so if you do, do you call, how do you do a welfare call mm -hmm. for somebody? So do you call 911 and do that? Or do you, is there a certain number? How do you make that call? I mean, you can call 911, especially if it's a immediate threat or immediate emergency. There's also, most of your jurisdictions have a non-emergency number. Um, here at the Walton County Sheriff, uh, Walton County, we have one dispatch center that dispatches for the Sheriff's Office, Monroe Police Department, Soul Circle Police Department, Loganville Police Department, and Fire and EMS. So they all, all the calls go to one center and then right. they dispatch them from that location. So if you need to make a call to anywhere in Walton County, you can call the communication center and like I said, they can get that out to the appropriate jurisdiction. Okay, so either way, um, and that can be even like an elderly person. Maybe Correct. you live in another state, but your mother lives in Walton County and she's yes. elderly kind of thing. We get those quite a bit as well. Okay, well that's a, an awesome service to, to offer and um, a lot of people may not know about that. So, right. all right, so that's a welfare check. And then, like you said, at that point, when somebody says, I'm good, I just don't want to talk to anybody right now, um, regardless of any kind of gut feeling that you have or regardless of what the family member or the loved one or whoever it was told you, legally, at that point, you have to leave, correct? Yes, if they're, sometimes we'll even say, you know, you need to get off my property, I'm fine. Um, we don't have any like legal right to be there. Uh, after that, we check their welfare. If they say they're fine and they want us gone, we have to leave. Right. Okay. So then let's talk about the next type of call, which would be a suicide threat call. Um, so this call is where someone has told somebody that they want to hurt themselves. And whoever did the calling felt like it was serious enough to actually let somebody know, correct? Correct. So tell us exactly kind of how that comes over the radio. How do you know that it, what it is that you have? I mean, we got we use 10 codes here. Um, so we'll get a, you know, certain 10 code, say, you know, it was a suicide threat. Would let you know that that was a yeah. suicide So you know so you're no, going we, we to a suicide exactly. threat. Once okay. we're dispatched to a call, like I said, we use 10 codes. So majority of the calls we have are categorized by a 10 code. Right. So when they dispatch a call, they give us the type of call it is, the location, 
um, any kind of cross streets or anything, and then they start going into the details of the call. And if we have to make contact with anybody who we're making contact with, um, we also have a capability of looking up like past history there, see if we've been to that location before for any related type of calls. Um, so that can also help us out while we're en route to that call as well. That way, um, we can So how does those. that come into play if, okay, so if you're going on a suicide threat and let's say you've been to this house five times prior on the same call, suicide threat, um, how does that influence how you deal with the call? Or, I mean, is that even something that you know? I mean, is it a subconscious influence or does it help you kind of make a game plan for what you're going to do when you get there? Well, just like any other call, we always try to come up with a game plan before we get there. We run different scenarios through our heads. Um, you know, if this person does this, I'm going to do that. Or if they do that, I'm going to do this. That way we're not really caught off guard. We're mentally preparing ourselves for anything that can happen while we're there. Because you can be dispatched to a vehicle lockout and it turn into something serious. So right, you never right. know what you're exactly what you're responding to. You have a general idea, but anything could change. Um, so just any type of call like that, we're always running different scenarios through our heads, how we're going to respond if they respond to a certain way. Um, so basically what I'm doing is if it's a suicide threat, a lot of times what I'll try to do, me personally, is try to make contact with the person before I arrive on location. Just let them know I'm coming there. Oh, Especially okay. if like a gun or a knife is supposedly going to be involved, any kind of weapon. They, so I'll call them on the phone, you know, let them know the reason that I'm calling, ask them if they're okay. Do they typically answer when you call? Um, we is had, it 50-50? Uh, <laughs> it, it's kind of hit or miss. Right. Uh, sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. But it's, like I said, it's an option that we try to, I guess, use before we get there. That way we're not. So if he does have a gun, you know, we can try to talk him out on the porch, and then that way we can see he's not armed at that point. Right, know? right. So. Um, do you, at that time when you call them, and let's say they do answer the phone, do you start trying to get into talking to them about what's going on at that point, or you just say, we're on the way to your location, I will be there in a few minutes or whatever? No, I mean, I try to say, you know, Whoever it is, uh, Lieutenant Cornelius with the Sheriff's Office, um, are you, you know, calling, but we're, we got a call on you to say, you know, you wanted to hurt yourself. Are you okay? You know, what's going on? Um, is there anything I can help you with? I'm on the way over there. Will you meet me outside and talk to me type? You know, right. just try to get them out. Just try to talk them down a little bit. Try to talk to them. Right. Make them feel more relaxed. That way, when you get there, they kind of know what to expect. They're not caught off guard. Right. So when you get there, and let's say that they do meet you outside, um, when you get there, what happens? Again, it's just kind of just talking to them, try to try to meet them halfway as far as, you know, what are you feeling? Why are you feeling this way? What's going on in your life to make you want to do this? Because um, a lot of times it's, it's um, they got a lot of family issues going on or, they're feeling lonely or hopeless or, you know, something like that. So you do try to talk to them and say, you know, there are people here that care about you, obviously, because somebody called and was concerned about you. So maybe that'll kind of lift up their spirits a right. little bit and say, okay, maybe it's not as bad as I thought it was. And then that's when we try to offer, you know, go and talk to a professional, either with us or EMS transporting them or even going with a close friend or family member because sometimes they feel a little bit more comfortable going – not everybody wants to ride in the back of a police car. Right, so, right. <laughs> um, or even in the back of an ambulance. So 
you know, you can also, especially if there's family or friends there, hey, would you mind going to the hospital with, you know, your, your mom or your dad or your sister, whoever. So at that point, you do try to encourage them oh, yeah, at that moment absolutely. to go somewhere. If they say, no, I, th- I think I'm good, um, at that point, again, same thing like the with the welfare check, you're kind of done. Yeah, and I always try to reiterate, you know, if you need to talk to somebody, we're always here. You know, call us anytime we're here, day or night. Um, if you need us to take you anywhere, I'll be more than happy to take you to the hospital, let you talk to, you know, a psychiatrist or, you know, a doctor on location. So that way we're not just leaving them there with, okay, now they're going. I can, that way if they do have that feeling come back up, it's like, okay, he, you know, he came out here. He told me I could call them anytime, day or night. Right. And, you know, they would try to help me out. So that will always stick in the back of their mind and right. maybe be another option for them before they attempt it again. So yeah. can you say, how do you, what, where, what do you pull from in order to, to kind of know what to say to a person that's feeling that way is, um, and I know that we're going to talk a little bit later with Major Wisnet and get more into talking about training and stuff, but are you pulling from training that you've had since your law enforcement career? Are you pulling from just personal um, where does that come from for you? I know you can't speak yeah. for everybody, but for you, where does that for come me, from? For me, it's a little bit of both. I mean, I've never had, you know, a close friend or family commit suicide or talk to me about suicide. So a lot of my, what I do is coming from, you know, the training we get. Um, I don't think it, we get a little bit of training. Could it be more? Yes. Um, but a lot of it's coming from experience. Um, dealing with the different kind of calls that we go to. Uh, You kind of learn to talk to people, try to kind of, you know, come down to or come to their level, meet them halfway, and you just try to treat them like human beings. I mean, they're calling you wanting for help or somebody's calling wanting you to help them out, so you just do whatever you can. Right. So um, do you find, thinking about the suicide calls that you've gone on, can you think of a common thread that that you hear amongst most of the people that you come in contact with? Is there something that seems to be reoccurring that people bring up when they're thinking about wanting to end their life? Well, I think I kind of went on a little bit before, but it's that feel of loneliness, hopelessness, or even being a burden on other family members mm-hmm. or friends, being a burden. Um, they think that the world would be better off without them you know type thing that's usually more of a common thread that I've encountered you know during my my profession right um and what's and what's your dominant feeling when you get there and and I know it it probably obviously is different depending on the scenario I mean someone who is making a suicide threat standing there with a gun or a weapon or with some way that would be very easily for them to do it quickly I'm guessing that's a different feeling versus someone who seriously is just crying and and maybe they don't have a weapon on them or anything at the time can you kind of describe those two like where you how you react to those different situations well if they're armed you're kind of kind of I guess more in a reactive type scenario you're trying to talk to them hey it ain't worth it don't do it why are you wanting to do this 
you're, you're steadily trying to talk to them and trying to get to the root cause of the issue, but they do have that weapon on them, and that can be used against against me. Right. Um, so I guess it's more of a defensive position. Right. Um, kind of more skeptical. So, like, say, if I get to one that's not armed, say they're trying to do it with medication or, you know, something like that, then it's a little bit more... I guess relaxed, I guess. Right. I mean, we try not to be relaxed in any situation. Right. But you don't but feel that you're worried about your personal safety exactly. at that you're point. More you're concerned, more concerned about you're them. You're more focused on, I guess, them. Right. Then you have to, I guess, you'd be more empathetic. Right. Just per se. Um, Does suicide by cop enter your mind um, yes. when you're on your the way to that call or whatever? Um, and for people who might not know what I'm talking about. Can you just briefly say what that is? Yeah, that, I mean, that especially if you're going to a call where there's a weapon involved, suicide by cop always enters my mind as a, you know, a possibility of something that's going to happen. And for those that don't know what that is, it's someone who wants to commit suicide and but tries to get someone else to do it for them, I guess. So like they say, no one, they call no one said, I'm going to shoot myself or I'm going to do this. They get there, they got a weapon on them, and they engage in or they approach the law enforcement officer in an aggressive manner or say they point the gun at them or start running at them with a the knife. They know that most likely that officer is going to respond, respond, you know, defend themselves. Right. And, you know, it could be a, a possibility of right. killing them. So, I mean, obviously that is a term probably coined in the media somewhere, yeah. unfortunately, but yes. it is an actual reality in our world today that a lot of people, like you said, not wanting to do it themselves, but know that police being armed and the nature of the job, then, you know, you're not going to call a fireman if you're worried of, if you're wanting to do that, of course, then it's going to be police for Correct. sure. So um, I know that you cannot necessarily give us specific details about calls that you've been on. However, I know that you have been in a um, very tense situation in regards to suicide. Um, can you share anything about that experience in the sense of um, how it's changed your thoughts of how you respond to these calls or um and I don't know if you can say the outcome of that particular call, um, but whatever you can share with us, knowing that you have um, definitely experienced suicide in a very real setting. Um, I'll give you kind of an overview. I'm not going to go into a whole lot of details about the call just for the family. Um, but I did get called to a, came out as a, I think, I don't remember if it came out as a welfare check or a threat, I can't remember. But it was a guy who was going through some family issues. Um, he sent some photos to friends and family with a gun to his head. Uh, he didn't give any details, anything further than that. Um, so we went out to his last known house, made contact with family there. And they were, you know, concerned, of course, and they kind of was thinking about his, his past, you know, how he was acting the previous days and just some things triggered was like, well, that wasn't normal, you know, things like that. Um, 
so we went into the house and we did find some like suicide notes and you know directions on what he wanted his belongings to go to so at that time you kind of know it's real at that point right um if they're going through all that to you know to write out this is where i want such and such to go this is what i want you know my house to go to my money to go to then you kind of know it's real right it's real at that point um so at that point i um we tried to find a location on him you know tried to that way we could actually perform a well check on him because he wasn't there nobody knew where he was Uh, he wasn't answering the phone for anybody so we have options as far as you know getting in contact with uh phone companies and maybe doing what's called a ping right and going off different cell towers and try to get a generalized location um well we got a phone call from another family member who said he they had just stopped by the house and he was acting again very strange and whatnot and that was on the opposite side of the county so we had to travel down there and uh, we, we were able to get a ping on his phone and a generalized location well once i pulled up i found his vehicle um, i saw him out in the distance and i got him in a car you know try to talk to him a little bit but you could tell he already had his mind made up mm-hmm. um, he apologized that i would have to see him do it um, but he said he had no choice um, no matter what i said to him or what i tried to do um, there was nothing I could have, you know, nothing I could personally do right. for him, and he committed suicide. So from that moment, um, then what does that switch over to? You call other, I mean, is it an investigation? You actually saw it happen, so mm-hmm. you know what it is. Um, what happens then? Well, there's still, I mean, still an investigation. There's, it's turned over to our investigators. Um, the coroner's office i mean we still go through our procedures as if i guess to figure out maybe an underlying issue right but i can't say what the invest i don't know what the investigators do on their portion and how they close out their cases so and then there's the matter of letting the family know Mm -hmm. i'm guessing and does that fall to you or who does that fall to you no that'll come down to again the investigators or the command staff okay um they'll usually make those Along with the corner, of course, they'll make those notifications. Well, you know, a lot of times we do put a lot on our law enforcement, um, men and women. And we kind of think of y'all sometimes as invincible or that you don't have feelings to you. So I can only imagine you're a person. You're (laughs) you're a deputy. You're a lieutenant. um, You are a person. I can only imagine that watching someone do that in front of you was very difficult. Just wondering, um, not wanting to ask you to share too many personal details, but how did you how did you deal with that, and how how has it had a lasting effect on you? Well, I had a very strong work family and a very strong family at home, so you know having them right there with me, you know, kind of helped out a lot. Right. So. So that was definitely, I mean, (coughs) one of the worst scenarios that can happen with law enforcement. Fortunately, most of the time, most of the time, it ends up being a suicide threat, correct? And it doesn't end up injuring into an actual suicide. Correct. 
Um, however, I imagine that now, having experienced that, um, every suicide call or any time that you get that kind of call, that is right there on your mind. Absolutely. And how you approach whatever yeah. it is. Um, a lot of times I think people get into this place where they're like, oh, they're just wanting attention or they're just, you know, they're just talking, whatever. Um, but I, I guess what I'm trying to say is just listening to you and the different experiences you've had, we really never can take it for granted. No, you can't. That that person doesn't mean it. So one of the kind of our closing thoughts that I wanted to ask you is, um, do you think suicide is preventable? This is just your opinion. In my opinion, um, I think if it's caught early on, then it has a better chance of being prevented. But also have the belief that if somebody's made up their mind, this is what I'm going to do, and nobody's going to stop me to do it, then they're going to do it. Right. So I think... Basically, what I hear you saying is is kind of the point of what we want to get across in this podcast is if we as a community, as whether we go to church with someone or loved one and our family, a friend, um, it's so much better if we can circle that person and try to get it early, do as much prevention as possible, Um, because once you're Mm. there, the situation is not good. Right. It's gotten to a point where we definitely don't want it to get to once you're on the scene. Um, so do you have any thoughts just for anyone who's listening who may be having thoughts of suicide or know someone who's struggling with thoughts of suicide? Do you have any thoughts of suicide prevention? I know we just talked about, you know, just saying catching it early. Do you have any advice or any thoughts to offer anyone who is in that situation? I mean, just just find somebody to talk to. I mean, there's people that's been through situations similar to yours and have come out of it. So whether it be a church group, a family member, a close friend, even a medical professional, just find somebody to talk to. Because, um, I mean, I don't want to sound... I don't know how to put it, but once a person commits suicide, they think that their pain is gone, but that's not the case. Right. It just transfers to someone else. Um, wow. Like I said, I've never, I've never lost anyone to suicide, but I can just imagine, you know, a close family or family member going of mine commit suicide and that just putting another burden on your family, you know? Right. So... I like that thought. You're right. It, it does the pain. You're never, that never happens in isolation. There's always going to be a domino effect right. from that, which is so true. Well, Lieutenant Cornelius, I want to thank you so much for coming and, and meeting with me today and sharing your experience with us. I also want to thank you for your service to Walton County. Um, I think you are definitely one that does the department proud. So we appreciate that you're here and all that you do for the citizens of Walton County. Thank you very much. It's my pleasure. This podcast is brought to you by Walton Wellness, Inc. and the Walton County Healthcare Foundation. Email us at waltonwellness at gmail.com. Find us on the web at waltonwellness.org, Facebook, and Instagram.